Welcome to the Third Line Plug Sands, guys. I am your host, Taylor Gibson. Joining me, as always, from the tropical metropolis of Calgary, Alberta, my co-host, Tim Jensen. Tim, how's it going, sir? You know, pretty good. It's been a good week here in Calgary, despite it being a bit on the cold side. Uh, got our house cleaned up and um, got all the planning I need done for Chelsea's birthday, so we're good to go. Awesome. When is Chelsea's birthday? This weekend. This coming weekend, or the weekend just yeah, yeah. passed? Okay. Is it on Saturday or Sunday? Uh, it's Saturday evening, yeah. Oh, that's awesome, man. That's awesome to hear. Yeah. Sometimes it can be proactive. Sometimes. We try sometimes. That sounds like the red-green prayer. Yeah. Except, you know, we're not talking about duct tape, and if they don't find you handsome, at least let me find you uh, handy. Oh, if that was the curve I was being judged on... So, Tim, let's talk about today's episode, because today's episode is Season 3, Episode 3, in chronological order, Episode 57, and there was actually a tie for the cover athlete, and the two people on the board was Derek Grant and Tommy Wingles. Real hard hitters. Yeah, a couple of real hard hitters, everybody. So, really, we need to flip a coin on this one, because... I think that's the only way we could do about this, is that we got to flip a coin, it's it's easy to understand. It's fast. It's fast. So how we're going to do this is Derek Grant is going to be heads, and Tommy Wingles will be tails. And here we go. It is tails, which means today's episode is the Tommy Wingles edition of the Third Line Plug Sense Cast. So before we talk about Tommy Wingles, we've got to do a little bit of backstory on him. Drafted 177th overall by the San Jose Sharks in 2008, was traded to the Ottawa Senators in 2017, recording two goals, two assists, or four points in 36 games for the Senators. So with that being said, Tim, like what kind of memories do you have of Tommy Wingles? The only real memory I ever have of him is that Sens Twitter really gave him a hard time in his short tenure with the Sens. Yeah. I guess the hard thing is he just kind of showed up, and to be fair, he didn't do all that much, and he wasn't particularly great while doing it, but at the end of the day, we got him for a seventh, so, eh. Yeah, that's all we could pretty much say. So let's talk about next week's poll, because next week is Season 3, Episode 4, in chronological order, Episode 58. Now, we've got two guys on the board. We've got Cody Bass... And Max Lejoie. Ooh, relevant people. Very much so, guys. Very much so. So with that hey. all the way, Tim, I gotta ask, how has your week been? Now, I understand that you were talking a little bit about it's been cold in Calgary and you've been doing some stuff for Chelsea for her birthday. But outside of that, how has your week been? Uh, I got promoted at work. That was pretty cool. Really? Congrats, man. Yeah, so uh, at this point, we're... Probably looking at, I don't know, maybe looking for a bigger space here, or I don't know, we'll see where see where things take us. That's awesome, man. What did you get promoted this week? Well, it's last week, but whatever. I interviewed for it back in September. Wait, 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 sorry. Back it up, back it up. You mean to tell me that you got promoted last week, and you're only telling up this about this now? Very disappointed in you, Tim. I thought our li- I thought you cared enough about our listeners and myself to tell me about the fact that you got promoted at work. I guess not. I think the only person I've actually told is Chelsea. So you're second. Eh, I'll take it. I mean, I don't usually. I don't like to be, you know, runner up here, but you know, eh, you know, I'll take it. Other than that, not heck of a lot. Oh, actually, I was, I've been playing a lot more Halo Master Chief lately, honestly. Oh, yeah? How's that been? Yeah, so they've got the big game. So for spooky Halloween month, they have uh, the zombie, like their infection zombies game mode on its own playlist. So it's uh, basically you spawn as either a human or zombie. If you die as a human, you become a zombie. It's quite a lot of fun. So I've been playing that quite a bit, enjoying it quite a lot. It's probably the most work my Xbox One's gotten in a very long time. I actually didn't even realize you had an Xbox One. I know you have a Switch, but I never knew you had a, an X-Bone. 
to your credit, I didn't have it when you visited last because uh, we had to send it in for repairs because they forked. They bricked my system with a system update. And it took a year for us to get it back. Seriously? A year? Yeah. We thought we thought the UPS guy just stole it. Because it was like the sketchiest handoff ever. It's like, yeah, I'll tape, tape it and kind of shoot us out of the store. I was like, no, no, I'll, I'll do this myself. And I was like, no, no, I got something. And then it took like eight weeks later, we didn't hear anything. Uh, Microsoft tracking number didn't work, so we just thought it was gone or like whatever. I don't care that much. It was out of warranty, whatever. I don't play it enough to actually buy a new one. And then like, yeah, like 10 months later, it just shows up like completely unannounced. Like imagine like your dog ran away and then like two weeks later, he just kind of waltzes back in like nothing happened. Oh, it's just, Xbox. <laughs> yeah, it's just like, uh, I'm trying to remember, I think it was like George from Seinfeld, he would like quit his job on a Friday and then he would just stroll back and work on Monday and act like nothing happened. Yeah, except it's an Xbox. <laughs> <laughs> so I actually got to talk a little bit about my week because, and this is actually going to tail back into next week's episode because all this week I have been doing some preparations for our upcoming episode. And not just because next week's episode is Season 3, Episode 4, which it is. Not just because next week's episode is Episode 58 in chronological order, which it also is. But also, next week's episode will be our 100th episode, Tim. We've been going that long? Holy shit. I know. Like, I still can't believe that we're already at 100 episodes, man. Do we get to celebrate a hundred twice, though, because we have our on-season ones and our off-season episodes. So do we get to do a hundred on-season episodes in, like, next year and then celebrate a hundred now as well? Is that, is that the game we're playing? Uh, I don't know. I think maybe if we ever hit a hundred episodes in chronological order, maybe you can make a comment about that. Be like, but, Tay, we already hit a hundred episodes once. You say that now. I mean, I've said it on air, so I'm kind of beholden to it, am I not? So if I do that, you can come back like, hey, you said you couldn't do that. Yeah, we're going to go, like, we'll go back to the tape. <laughs> so yeah, I've been doing a lot of preparations for that, and I'm not going to speak about what I've been up to, but I have got some people to do some stuff for us for the episode, and been splicing everything together. And I'm really looking forward to for everybody to hear that on next week's episode. Oh, is Adam Melnick coming back? I don't know, man. I mean, you know, maybe we might just get one of the Melnick bots to come back. Maybe. That's good for our post numbers. That's true. <laughs> you know what's also good for our post numbers, Tim? Segwaying to this little segment I like to call Top of the Hour. So once again, Tim, for a second straight week, we got to talk about this. Former NHLer Danny Grant passed away at the age of 73 after a battle with cancer. Grant spent parts of 14 seasons in the NHL with the Montreal Canadiens, Minnesota North Stars, Detroit Red Wings, and Los Angeles Kings, recording 263 goals, 272 assists for 535 points in 736 games. He won a Stanley Cup with Montreal in 1968 before being acquired by the Minnesota North Stars, with whom he would win Rookie of the Year in 1979. Post-career, he went on to coach the University of New Brunswick hockey team in 1995 before joining the Halifax Mooseheads of the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League in 1998. Now, the one thing that I, I will be perfectly honest, I have never heard about D Danny Grant, but the one thing that I found very fascinating is that this is something that he has a rare distinction because he won a Stanley Cup a year before he won Rookie of the Year. And that's very rare because many players, you can play a certain amount of games and still have your rookie eligibility the next season. And the only other player I can think of that's done that was another Montreal Canadian, Ken Dryden. Hmm. And I imagine it's a lot easier back in the day to do that, but still, frankly, impressive to kind of earn your chops in the middle of the playoffs, right? Very much so. Yeah, and it's interesting because when we found the story, I didn't realize that he was the coach in, ha in Halifax when I used to live there. So uh, I used to go to a decent amount of uh, Mooseheads games when I lived in Halifax. So I guess I watched a lot of Danny Grant, and uh, he did good work for an expansion team. 
Mm-hmm. And just, and the amount of players that they've produced out of the Mooseheads too. I believe uh, who came out of there? Jonas Shiger, I think, came out of that. Alex Tongay came out of that. Who did? McKinnon and Druitt. Yeah, but they came out of that like years, years and later, years but afterwards. It's been a solid program for decades now. Absolutely, man. Although I do have to say one thing about the Halifax Moosehead logo. It really needs an update. Well, it was really funny because I remember uh, when the Mooseheads came in, uh, the school I went to banned people wearing Mooseheads memorabilia because it looked too much like the beer logo. I can understand that, given that Moosehead Brewery was like the big financial sponsor of the Halifax Moosehead expansion team. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it was funny because everyone, a lot of parents were like, what's... I kind of get it, but at the same time, it's obviously the sports team. The brewery doesn't have a big H in it. That's true. And, I mean, it's in Halifax. Wouldn't the Halifax brewery attach with the team? Would that have been the Alexander Keiths? You know, I guess those who like it didn't like it a lot. That's true. I mean, in fairness, they do have the Alexander Keiths colors, though. True. Except Keith doesn't have red, though. Yeah. Going to our next story, Tim. The St. Louis Blues visited the White House on Tuesday following their final moment in the sun with the Stanley Cup. Every current member of the championship roster attended, including former Blues Chris Butler and Chris Thornburg, as, lo- as well as Commissioner Gary Bettman and 11-year-old superfan Layla Anderson. Yo, that must be awesome to be like an 11-year-old kid just get a free trip to the White House. That's cool. And also, the St. Louis Blues gave her a championship ring as well. That's, oh, that's freaking lit. Holy shit. I'm jealous of the kid. That's awesome. It's fantastic. And I understand that not everybody is on board with the current president right now, as it's been the last couple of years. But the fact is that he's continued that tradition of inviting NHL teams to the White House for their Stanley Cup day is still fantastic. Yeah, like, I wonder what kind of president would give up a free feel-good meeting, though, right? That's true. It's hard. But, uh, no, like, it's, I think it's just really cool that uh, they brought a super fan along with, with them. And that must have been an awesome day for Seattle's expansion NHL franchise released initial pricing for club seats with details on general ticket pricing coming in 2020. The team says club seats will cost between 285 and 355 based on a 44-game season ticket package, which will, will be on terms of 3 to 5 to 7 years. Aside from club seats, they have also said that 80% of suites in the arena have been sold. Now, I did get a chance. I tried to look into comparable prices for teams and I don't know I'm not sure I couldn't really find too much information mind you I didn't really look too too deep in it I did try and see okay let's see what the comparable would have been now I'm not sure if you did the same thing Tim and if you did I would like you to take the ball on this one yeah the one that I was able to find was uh, the Calgary Flames have uh, the av- kind of the average price of their club seats depending on the club uh, posted publicly, and Calgary's highest club seat at $289, Canadian is at the bottom of Seattle's prices in America, so it's quite a bit cheaper. Uh, I tried to find Ottawa's club pricing, but you have to call to inquire. And you know what's funny? That's the one that I looked into. I looked into Ottawa, I was thinking, okay, let's see what this is, but I could find any information other than a phone number. That's like, ah. I mean, I don't really want to call the team and be like, yeah, we're doing a podcast, and we want to know comparable for the Seattle expansion. Yeah. I'm a little surprised that uh, the article that you had it didn't actually have its own comparisons, and that's uh, probably just, it is what it is, because like just throwing out numbers doesn't mean anything unless you have a way to contextualize them. Like, maybe 300 isn't that expensive. Like, I would have, like, 355 might not be that expensive. I would imagine, like, some of the league spot. Like, some of the Leafs club seats probably go for 500 to to 1000 That wouldn't surprise me at all. Yeah, but a lot of those are corporate seats, though. It's not just for the average fan. Well, that's what club seats are, right? Yeah. They're those very exclusive uh, 
areas that are still in the bowl. So, like, they'll have a fancy bar attached to them or stuff like that, as opposed to being a box with a fancy bar and shit like that. Okay. Vegas Golden Knights forward Valentin Zykov has been suspended 20 games without pay for violating the NHL and NHLPA performance-enhancing substance program. Golden Knights president of hockey operations George McPhee said the forward was taking supplements not approved by the team and without its knowledge. Zykov is the second Golden Knight to be suspended for violating the terms of the program after Nate Schmidt was suspended 20 games last season. Now, the one thing that I, I couldn't find in this article is what exactly these supplements were that he was taking. But given the last summer and the last couple of years of certain substances that a lot of players have been taking, honestly, Tim, I think this is appropriate right here. Apparently the NHLP with this suspension and during, I don't think it was hot stove, but actually it might've been hot stove, but it was, I don't think it was, forget who it was. It was, uh, one of them was saying that the A was considering filing a grievance. Yeah. But that's the thing though, is that I, I wonder what kind of supplements they're referring to when they're talking about the performance enhancing substances they're referring to. Like obviously steroids are a big one, but I don't know. The fact that they don't really, it doesn't specifically say, and I know a few years ago, uh, Jose Theodore had been suspended for taking a supplement and it was actually for, it was like a hair growth supplement he was taking that had some sort of chemical in it that um, wasn't apparently legal by the NHL. Yeah. Well, another interesting one is uh, they're talking on, uh, during the play-by-play during, I think it was the Knights game, they were mentioning that uh, one time one of the drug tests, it went, it was flagged positive because of undiagnosed testicular cancer. Yeah, it was due to an undiagnosed cancer, and they dipped it in the bud. Yeah, that's crazy, man. Like, the fact that they would have uh, caught that, but, you know. Well, it's looking for biomarkers in the blood, right? <coughs> That's so true. it's going to be the same thing as your first round cancer test. New Jersey Devils have re-signed Nico Herscher to a seven-year contract with $50.75 million with an AAV 7.25. Herscher recorded 17 goals, for 17 goals, 30 assists for 47 points in 69 games for New Jersey last season. So whenever we talk about the New Jersey Devils, I always text my cousin to see what he thinks because he's a New Jersey Devils fan. He really likes this deal, and he says that you know he's a really good two-way four centerman, and he'll become a really great player once he fills out. I'm very—I don't know what to really think of this because Nico Hersher is a kind of a guy who he's put up solid enough numbers, but with the New Jersey Devils looking to try and re-sign Taylor Hall this coming this coming summer, I—I there's part of me that thinks maybe this is a step in the right direction of trying to get Taylor Hall, but also for a guy who really hasn't produced big-time numbers offensively, 7.25 just seems kind of high to me. Yeah, but at the same time, this is kind of following in the trend of uh, trying to buy off the RFA years. So I can I can definitely see the logic of that. So this fits into like the Shabbat and the Colin White style deals. And Nico Hersher, he looks very good in the early part of his career. Like, his rate metrics are good. Uh, he's on the right side of the puck, and uh, he's getting around that one goal for 60 minutes and two points for 60 minutes, which is very solid play. So, I have no problem with this. I I think it's a pretty forward-thinking signing. But the one thing that really sticks out for me is that he had some injury troubles last season, and... I'm not saying that this is going to continue, but if it continues for Nico Hersher in New Jersey, that's going to be a pretty tough contract to move if they say, hypothetically, they would have to move it. Yeah, but at the same time, he's still young, so hopefully it doesn't get him. But honestly, even right last year, he was a top-line player. Like, he's scoring at a top-line rate. New Jersey is better with him on better on the ice with him in terms of both shots and goals than they are without him on the ice. So I have no problem with the contract, honestly. 
he's looking to be a fantastic player, and most non-Neil Yakupov first overalls tend to be. So, yeah, I have no problem. I think it's a great signing. Philadelphia Flyers have signed Chris Stewart to a one-year, $750,000 contract. Stewart, who attended the Flyers training camp on a professional tryout, recorded six goals, seven assists for 13 points in 23 games for the Nottingham Panthers of the British Elite Ice Hockey League. You know, I didn't even realize that Chris Stewart had played so little that as in he didn't even play in the NHL last year. Remember how he was always connected to Ottawa and, like, traded signing rumors? That is true. I remember this was, uh, oh, God, this is going back a few years now that he was even in those kind of rumors. Because I know his brother, I think his brother Anthony was also in the NHL, if I'm not mistaken, at one time. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, like, Chris Stewart was never popular among people who kind of looked at the stats. Like, he was never seen at, a lot of people seemed to think he had some offensive skill. The points kind of came in drips and drabs for him, but the teams were usually worse off with him on the ice than they were with him off. In some way, either he was giving up a shitload of shots in his own end, or he was deep-sixing the offense. And honestly, if one season it was he was very good in the offensive zone, the next season he wouldn't be. One season he was good enough in his own zone, the next season he wasn't. It's a very Mercurial player, and at 32, I'm not sure how much he has left in the tank. I don't know. Maybe this is just a final kick in the can, and he can go out uh, you know, on a high note in the NHL. Yeah, that would be cool for him. Dude bounced around enough. Absolutely. So, Tim, let's close out top there the way we always do, by talking about some Ottawa Senators news. Sportsnet Elliot Friedman is reporting that the Ottawa Senators have shut down their search for a president of hockey operations until the end of the season. The Senators have been looking for a president of hockey operations since last season to fill the void left vacant by the late Ryan Murray. So for me, this piece of news, and I know that we were talking about this again last week, is that hockey people are now, they're not flanning the flames, but they're adding fuel to the fire that Eugene Melnick is looking to sell the Senators. And I feel that this is another instance where those hockey people could be right about the potential selling of the Ottawa Senators. Yeah, and, like, this is a bit surprising. Like, this was something that seemed to be kind of mandated for the NHL, and it's surprising that the NHL is letting it go. You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I know that they were looking for a long time, and given that the Ottawa Senators, I th- believe they just hired the head coach of the Carleton University basketball team as a consultant then I'm actually kind of surprised that they're not looking for a president of hockey operations given that that's one of the big roles that they've been looking at over the past year yeah I guess the other thing is the at the executive level like the C, in the C-suites it's just been a revolving door with the COOs and the CMOs lasting very little time at all like uh, the CMO was there for she was there for barely a year before she left uh, we all know what happened to Al Salmi and then uh, Rakowski. Yeah. Um, are you referring to Amy Dizel? Amy Dizel, yeah. I forgot her last name, and I didn't want to just refer to her by her first name. <laughs> uh, yeah, like she recent, I think she recently left. So it's just been a revolving door in the C-suite, so I can see why the president of hockey operations just doesn't want, like someone wouldn't want to touch that tempest in a teapot. Yeah, and maybe they're feeling that if Melnick ends up selling the team that that position could be much more stable and lucrative is not the right word, but the stability would be there with a new owner. Yeah. And there's a good chance like a, like the kind of position that a POMA uh, president of hopping operations would be, that would be someone who has swept out the door with Melnick. So there might be some resistance there as well. So, Tim, I guess that wraps up top of the hour, which means one thing. It's time to head on to the games. Now, we got three games to talk about this evening. We've got the Wild versus the Sens, Sens versus the Golden Knights, and the Sens versus the Coyotes. But before we do that, let's hit the music. Time to play the game. Time to play the game. 
Tim, let's start talking about the Wild versus the Senators. This was a 2-0 Wild victory. Wild goals were scored by Victor Rask and Zach Parise. Victor Rask opens the scoring to make it 1-0 Minnesota after picking up the puck following a puck battle and putting it top corner. And Zach Parise scores on the empty net to make it 2-0 Minnesota, which would be the final. So I had to condense watch this game given the fact that it's not really a tradition, but it's always becoming a thing over the last couple of years that any night that we record, if there's a game going on, I always condense watch it. And I was talking about this off air is that after I'm recording the episode, editing the episode and uploading it, I just have no energy to sit down and actually concentrate and watch a game. So for me, this is why I always condense watch these games. Well, I mean, it's almost three hours of straight work for you because like it's get, we sit down, we record, well, you have a bit of preamble before you record and then you have to do a decent amount of editing to get the st stuttering and dead air out. Yeah, and then adding whatever clips that I have to add in, like that DJ horn during the Vegas Golden Knight story. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was funny. You're like, God damn it, I can't get it in. <laughs> but yeah, I wasn't able to watch it either because uh, we we're driving up from it, driving back from Edmonton while the game was on. Yeah. So did you watch any of the highlights of this game or no? Uh, I, I looked at Sense Twitter while we were driving around Red Deer, and they said this game was boring and not worth watching, so I took their word for it. Okay. I do have a couple of notes, and I'll go real quickly about this. Craig Anderson had 33 saves. He .971 save percentage. For me, this was easily his best performance of this season, and I felt he looked really solid in this game. Uh, Anthony Duclair, five shots. I really liked how he played it. He looked like he was handling the puck well, moving around the defenseman. The only thing that he hasn't really been able to do yet is put the puck in the net and and I know they put him on the top line with Tuchuk and White and this is a pairing that even before the season I was saying this is absolutely going to be a pairing and I would love to see this happen so far it hasn't really produced but hopefully it can and Eric Brandstrom three shots skated really well from what I was seeing with the puck and he was making some really smart offensive decisions which Probably been one of the big criticisms I've had of Brastrom is that he looks so unconfident with the puck. But I know that you've mentioned that the Senators have been pairing him with Ron Hainsey, and this is why he has to be a lot more conservative in his play. Yeah, and it's you'll see it in the games later this week that we'll be talking about later. Is it you really notice it? But I think uh, Brastrom's really coming into it now. Like I'm very happy watching him skate. Me too. And I know that it'll be coming a theme like when we talk about it here in this episode is that Brandstrom's play has been pretty good offensively, but defensively he's been kind of lacking as guys have picked the puck from him and just skate away. And, you know, he's a young defenseman. And I know that I saw Eric Carlson do the exact same thing when he was younger. And over the time, he greatly improved. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, uh Two shiny Norrises and a third Norris he probably should have. Definitely says that he improved. And honestly, we have a Swede named Eric here. I'm excited. For sure. So, Tim, I don't have any more notes to make of this game if you want to head on to the second game of the evening. Yeah, it wasn't, exa it wasn't exactly an inspired effort. And uh, DJ Smith said as much. He called out the team. Well, he was saying that they needed to put a bit more effort into the offense as well as the defense for this game coming into Be this Vegas game. Actually, let's talk about this Vegas game. Sens versus Golden Knights. This is a 3-2 Golden Knights shootout victory. Sens goals are scored by the Bacho Man Thomas Shabbat and Jean-Gabriel Pajot. Vegas Golden Knights goals are scored by Riley Smith and Nick Holden. Shots were 54-39 for the Vegas Golden Knights. Vegas outplayed Ottawa in this game. Vegas had a combination of speed, scoring chances, and solid defensive play, which stifled Ottawa's offensive attack. Ottawa's solid play came more in spurts in this game, with Anders Nielsen almost single-handedly stealing this game with his play. Actually, let's talk about yeah. Anders Nielsen right out of the gate. 52 saves, a .963 save percentage, and God... Help me, I hope this clip works. But, uh, no, it was the Anders Nielsen show. And, frankly, yeah, his defense was giving him nothing. But this was a game where neither team was really all that interested in playing defense. Like, 50 shots is an atrocity. And 
Ottawa really didn't give them much support, support especially in the last five minutes or so of the game. Mm-hmm. But Otto, Vegas giving up forty, almost 40 shots to the Senators is something else. It is. And I want to quickly talk about the Bacho man himself, Thomas Shabbat. Oh, this is so good. One goal and four shots. And let's talk about that move that he made to put the puck in because, wow, that was a nice move that he got the goal for that one. Well, he just curls the puck so gently around Stasny and then just lasers it. And it's just heads-up play by all of the centers on the ice. And they took advantage of a Vegas defense that had become a bit stag- that had become a bit static in the play. So they were able to easily move the puck around and get a spot who just wired that puck. Uh, let's quickly switch gears here and talk about Scott Sabrin because there's one instance I want to talk about in this game is that his fight with Ryan Reeves. And I know a lot of people on Sen's Twitter has been very critical of Sabrin and their justification of having him in the lineup. But for me, I have to say I had gained a whole new respect for Sabrin for going at it with Ryan Reeves because when you look at Ryan Reeves, I didn't realize... He's only like six foot one, two hundred fifteen pounds. I thought he was like as big as Dustin Bufflin. I thought he was like six foot six, six five. The fact is that he's a not a big guy, but I gotta give it to Sabrin because honestly, when you look at Sabrin compared to Reeves, it looked like he was fighting a gorilla. That's the way it looks like. Ryan Reeves is so built, and he's so much bigger than Sabrin, and you can see Sabrin in that fight going. Oh, fuck. What have I agreed to? What have I agreed to? Please don't kill me. Yeah, and what was interesting, though, is that, like, a lot of hockey fights nowadays, it's a bit of put, put, punching maybe a sweater over the head. That was a fight. I know. Sabrin really held his own in that fight. I was really happy with it. Mm-hmm. Um, anything else I really... Yeah, uh, Mark Stone played a fantastic game uh, in his first game against the Senators since being traded to the Golden Knights. I, I, you know, I do want to make a comment on Mark Stone because I was watching the game here on Game Center, and because I was working that night, I watched it when I got home, and I always skipped forward to start a first period, start a second period, and every time I would click on it, the first shot you would see is Mark Stone in a Golden Knights jersey, and I was like, oh, right to the chest. Apparently, the Golden Knights have how emotional he is on the bench, so they have a permanent camera on Mark Stone. I miss Mark Stone. Yeah. What's interesting is you can definitely see the difference between Ottawa, like the defense that, sorry, the power plays and defense that Ottawa and Vegas were playing. And uh, one thing you definitely notice about uh, Vegas's power play is just how aggressive it is and how good it is at funneling pucks to the net. And this game, I felt Ottawa's power play was a lot more aggressive. It's just Marc-Andre Fleury played a very good game as well. Oh, I know. That one play where he lost, what was it, his glove hand he lost? And you could see him with his hand. his glove and his stick. I know, and the fans gave him a standing ovation for that. That's a really good thing because Marc-Andre Fleury was fantastic in that game. And that was a, actually two things about this game. One was that. And the other was when he poke-checked Chris Tineri. Oh, and then, uh, yeah, that poke-check was a beautiful, that was a cool poke-check. Like, that save, it was just, Ottawa sustained so much pressure on Flurry in that play. Like, uh, if Ottawa can play more like that, like, the thing is, it's like, this is a young team, they're still figuring things out, but if they have the ability to do that to one of the best teams in the league, that's very promising, and Duclair almost put that in the net, too, and he was just robbed by a fantastic 10-alarm bell save by Fleury. Oh, I know, I know. So I just want to make a couple more comments on the notes I have. Um, Ottawa's defense, uh, yeah, they were nowhere to be found. Ottawa's offensive attack, this is something I want to talk about, because watching this game, the one thing that I noticed is that they definitely were stifled by the Golden Knights' defense, but it seemed like after... It didn't seem like they had any fight in them once they tried to get over the offensive blue line a couple of times after the Vegas Gold Knights had stopped them. It was, seems like they would kind of skate 
towards them, see that they're going to come at him, and just flip it in. And it's like, oh, okay, that's that's how we're going to do it tonight, guys? Yeah, and I found Nikita Zaitsev being one of the biggest culprits of that. Like, I felt Thomas Shabbat had a very good outing. Nikita Zaitsev really didn't. Mm-hmm. But I know for me, and I know you and I talked about this off-air, is that you and I have very different opinions about this game. You were saying, man, this was a very exciting game. And for me, it's like, I don't know. Ottawa just seemed really kind of flat out there from, in, from what I was seeing because, like the notes I was making about their offensive attack, but also their solid play wasn't spread out over the game. It was more in spurts. It would be like a couple of minutes, like they would be on the offensive attack making good plays couple of minutes here a couple of minutes there and it's like like we're not gonna win this game guys the fact that we got over or almost 40 shots on the golden knights is still amazing to me when i look back on this yeah and that's why this game was exciting because it was running gun hockey sure the vegas knights definitely got the better of the senators and that should be expected i still think the senators played a fantastic game although of course it was the anders nielsen show like, the dude had, yeah, he had, like, a, a 96% save percentage and still and still lost the game. Like, he had a fantastic outing. I know, and this is one of the games that, if it wasn't for him, Vegas would have beaten us, like, 6-1, 7-1 in this game. There's no way that we would have come as close as we did to actually win no. it. It was, it was still a lot of fun to watch, though. Like, running gun hockey is fun, dude. It is. It's, you know what's funny is that in a comparison I like to make, it's like it's like rewatching the Dave Cameron era sense. You remember that when it was like it was all run and gun and defense took a back seat. But at the end of the day, we were still giving up so many shots and we were still letting in so many goals. And the fact that we went on that hamburger run that year, given the running gun offense that we had, is still amazing to me. Yeah. It's a bit of a shame the Magic ran out at the end. Although, you could argue that, like, the Sens, they could have won or lost that series, honestly. But, whatever. It's interesting because DJ Smith was supposed to be a systems coach, really didn't show up here tonight. One thing I did like is, uh, I really liked Brandstrom tonight. Sorry, that night. Like, I just found he was a lot more comfortable with the puck, and especially on the power play, he was moving the puck very well. One thing I did notice about the power play as well is they were definitely forcing the shots more to the defense to try and push the Vegas off the Vegas penalty penalty killers back into the zone. Although I think they relied on it a bit too much, and that ended up not really working out to their favor. So Tim, I don't have any more notes to make of this game. If you want to head on to the third and final game of the evening, I guess the one thing that we can mention is like right at the start of the game, Nielsen lets in a pretty sloppy goal. But it's amazing how how well he recovered after that. That's, that's true. That's true. Let's move on and talk about our third and final game of the evening. Sens versus Coyotes. This is a 5-2 Coyotes victory. Sens goals are scored by Vladislav Navistov and Chris Tenere. Coyotes goals are scored by Kyle Capoplano, Oliver ekman Larson, Connor Granlin, Carl Zonenberg, and Lawson Kraus. Shots were 36-27 for the Ottawa Senators. A fairly even game overall. Arizona outplayed Ottawa in the first period, but as the game went on, Ottawa's play improved as they started playing with energy and were creating scoring chances, but it was not enough to get them the W. So let's start off by talking about the other Ottawa goalie we have. Craig Anderson, 22 saves, a .846 save percentage. He did, I, I felt he played a pretty decent game. However... The one knock I have is that that Carl Soderberg goal was pretty soft. Yeah. I'm not going to argue that one, although I feel that like he wasn't given a lot. Although I felt that first pairing just really wasn't there. Again, I feel like it was Nikita Zaitsev dragging down Thomas Shabbat. Because Shabbat was a lot better without Zaitsev than Zaitsev was without Shabbat. Again, another game I really... I felt that Victor Branstrom... Ainsy pairing actually had a really good night out. Mm -hmm. I actually was really happy with how Branstrom played. And talking about Thomas Shabbat, uh, one assist. I really like how he played in this game. But the one thing I've noticed, 
so far this season is that Shabbat's a very smooth skater, but for me, I just, I think he needs to find that extra gear in his skating speed because, like, he can fly. Like, man, once he gets going, try stopping him. He's a big dude, and you try stopping him with that speed, and it doesn't look like he's, I, I'm not saying he's dogging it out there, but it looks like he just isn't uh, finding that extra gear to use that explosive speed to his advantage. Yeah. I haven't really noticed it as much, but yeah, maybe it's working on systems. Who knows? Um, but yeah, like you really said it. It's just Ottawa, when they came out, they had, especially throughout the first period, it was a very sloppy first period. Like passes were getting picked off and Anderson really didn't have a lot to work with as Arizona really, really took it to the Senators. I know it's a game against the Ottawa Senators, but Arizona looked fantastic. They did, but the one thing I noticed, especially in the third period, is that they really took their foot off the gas, and that's how Ottawa was able to get two goals against Antti Ratna. To be fair, when you're up 4 nothing, and you just got an easy goal, it's hard to care. True. Like, that's, that's no score effects. Like a Toronto in Game 7s. Yeah. But score effects are such a routine thing in hockey that uh, you, like, models that predict, goal, like, predict games based on, like, underlying statistics get more accurate when you account for it. And, but honestly, fantastic work by Nemestikov to get that shorty. And mm-hmm. then Tierney on the resulting power play. It's just good hustle by the center secondary. Well, yeah, and actually, secondary scoring at this point. Yeah, Nemestikov, I actually want to talk about because he had one goal in four shots. Since he actually he's arrived in Ottawa, I've actually been really happy with how he's played for the Ottawa Senators so far. Yeah, and this is kind of the the beauty of the trade is it's another one of those uh, low risk high rewards trading trades that the Ottawa Senators like to do. It's just this one worked worked out. It like it reminds me a lot of uh, the Turris trade so far. But mm-hmm. again, it's, it's a very small sample, so we'll see. Yeah, but the tourist trade was different because when we gave up David Runblad, fans were very critical because Runblad was a decent enough defenseman who at the time looked like had quite a bit of upside to him, whereas Turris was this high draft pick who really was not panning out in Arizona and was being scratched a number of times. And you just kind of wonder... What are like? What do we really have here in Kyle Turris? And I know when we made the trade for him back in 2011, I was one of the guys, I pumped up the trade. I was thinking, you know what? I think in a couple of years, because I knew Spezza was going to be out the door, and I knew a few other things, like Mike Fisher was gone. So I kind of figured within a couple of years, he was going to be our top-line centerman. And lo and behold, top-line centerman. Yeah. No, and uh, Ottawa does a lot of these trades. Sometimes they work out, sometimes they don't. Um... Yeah, so, yeah, I'm really happy with what we've been able to get with the Nemestikov. Uh, one thing that I haven't been happy with, and uh, it was rectified after the game with uh, some demotions, was that fourth line was something awful. Yeah, that fourth line was garbage. And I know somebody on Twitter says they had the stat line of those three players, and it's like, ladies and gentlemen, this is a fourth line in the National Hockey League right now. Yeah, they got crushed by pretty much every line they played against. Uh, feel bad for Nick Paul because, like, Swars and Sabrin aren't exactly the best line mates to have, but somehow Sabrin had the best shot ratio at, I think it was somewhere sub 10%. It was bad. Like, they just had a god off, god, 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 god awful outing. And this. This is probably Nick Paul's last chance, so this is definitely not what he wants to see. not what he wants to be seeing. For sure. Uh, actually, one final comment I do want to make about this game, and I know that actually Trevor Shackles made a po- uh, comment about this on Twitter. He said that he's the the Arizona Coyote third jerseys, the old school late nineties, Kanta uh, or whatever that logo was called. He said that's one of the ugliest jerseys in the NHL. I gotta disagree. I really like those. Arizona jerseys, to be perfectly honest with you. I wouldn't say they're the ugliest jerseys, because those old Ducks 
jerseys that looked like they came from, they were painted by uh, Beverly Hills Cop. Those were some shit. Which one are you talking about? Are you talking about the the, the white? teal and purple? What's with wrong with those. what's wrong with those jerseys? Yeah, it's just like I've seen so much teal and purple on like solo cups and shitty wallpaper that I just see that I'm like, oh, it's 1991. But you know what though? It could be worse though, Ben. And I I feel that they're not the worst jerseys in the world. I do feel that they're, if you remember back in the day, their third. The what the Wild Wing ones, the one where the the Ducks logo was coming out of the ice. Oh, that was dumb. That was dumb. But also, I got a comment on the Trevor's tweet because I feel that there's two jerseys, like old school third jerseys that are way fucking uglier than those. One of them is the old Boston Bruins Winnie the Pooh head jerseys, the yellow ones, and also the Los Angeles Kings Burger King jerseys. I didn't even know about the. I have to look this up. Yeah, just look at. Uh, there's a set. There's a shot of Gretzky in one of those jerseys too. Holy shit! You know what? I know this isn't our show. That I'm gonna narc, but I think I think we definitely need it here. What were they thinking? I know, and I like. I'm looking at the jersey too, and it's like. They're not serious. They're not serious. You know what this reminds me of? This reminds me of, like, when the roller hockey league was a thing. It looks like one of those jerseys. Yeah, like, what the hell is the swoosh? I don't know. And actually, I'm looking at one right here, and it's the the old school Kings purple and gold jersey with that Burger King head in the middle. Yeah, and it's got Dustin Brown's name on it. Oh, Uh, God. What were they thinking, guys? Come on. Well, what? There's just so many design kind of issues. Like, that swoosh just, it doesn't fit. The shoulder patch rolls over onto the, like, onto the chest. The logo, yeah, it looks like the freaking Burger King. And then you have a different side patch on top of that. I know. And actually... Uh, there was a St. Louis Blues third jersey, and I'm trying to find it here. Uh, do me a favor, Tim. Go into Google and Google St. Louis Blues trumpet jersey. I'm not even kidding. These, this was a legit jersey that somebody in St. Louis came up with. Mike Keenan took one look at it, and he left it in his office. He's like, I'm never letting these guys wear those. That looks like a bad Hawaiian shirt. It does. Like, they're just... Like, I understand the late, the mid to late 90s was kind of a weird time for jerseys where, like, San Jose and Anaheim and all of these old expansion teams had the really, for lack of a better word, unique color palette for their jerseys. But there's certain teams that just should not have tried anything different. Yeah. The, the, that was a jersey. Yeah. But, yeah, do we have anything else to say about the Coyotes? Uh... Not not particularly, no. I mean, other than the comments that I made about those jerseys and... Actually, one of the guys on the Coyotes got high-sticked in the face by Connor Brown and he ended up losing teeth. That was the one that went on the four-minute power play. Actually, you know who actually had a pretty decent game? Dylan DeMello. You know who didn't? Nikita Zaitsev. Boy, it's almost like it's becoming a trend, Tim. You know what they both are? Defensemen? You know what they both have done a lot of? Playing defense? With Thomas Shabbat. Maybe we should take this to its conclusion and switch sides with with DeMello. Reunite the Shabbat-DeMello pairing. Can't be any worse than what we got right now. That's true. Although, Borbietsky Zaitsev might be an adventure. Oh, God. Can you imagine? Yeah. Poor Boro. Yep. So, Tim, I don't have any more notes to make of this game if you just want to head into the close for another night. Sounds good. Okay. First of all, guys, thank you so much for listening to the Third Line Plug Sensecast. I hope you've enjoyed it because, believe me, Tim and I love recording it for you. We are on the National Podcast Network. You can find our page on nationalpodcast.network where you can find our links to iTunes, SoundCloud, and Google Play. 
You can also find us on Twitter at Third Line Plug is our Twitter handle. Tim is at M91HoneyBadger. I'm at GreatWhiteGipster, G-R-8-W-A-T-E-Gipster. If you want to shoot us an email to talk about the Los Angeles King Burger King jerseys, shoot us an email at ThirdLinePlugSenseCast at gmail.com. Okay, Tim, so we got three games for this coming week that we're going to be talking about for our 100th episode. Now, we got the game tonight in Dallas, Wednesday. We're playing the Detroit Wings at home, and Friday, we're at home to play the New York Islanders. So we're finished up our Western swing. Very much so, for now. For now. Until next week. I'm going to go bed and eat time. Until next time, guys. I am your host, Tim Gibson. Go Sands, guys.